God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the confession of our faith. We do pray that you would be uh, worshipped and honored and glorified, not just through these baptisms, but through every breath that we breathe. We're reminded from Scripture that you are not served by human hands as though you need anything, but you give to all mankind life and breath and everything. And God, this morning we recognize that that gift of life, that gift of breath is a gift from you. And I pray that we would just redirect it right back to you. That for all that we have been given, we would pour it back out, which is the, the depth and the core of praise. That we would live a life of praise. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to praise you this morning. I pray now as we turn to the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would speak. That your word would not return void. That it would accomplish all that you intend for it to accomplish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat for me. Hey, if you have your Bibles... For the last time, turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28. In 1990, there was an, an author by the name of Robert Jordan who began writing a science fiction series called The Wheel of Time. Anybody familiar? Wheel of Time, okay. 14 years he wrote uh, 14 novels. I did the math. It's 11,300 pages. If you listen to that series on Audible, you would spend or waste 19 days and five hours of your life. But what's crazy about the Wheel of Time series is that they went unfinished by Robert Jordan. After 14 years of penning these books, he, he passed away without ever completing them. Now, of course, later he had his notes compiled by other authors, and they were able to bring it to completion. But could you imagine investing 14 years into 14 various novels just to get to the end and, and realize there's, there's no closure to it. Or maybe another example is, anybody remember the hit TV show Lost? I mean, how many of you would watch every episode of that show feeling rage? Because it never left any closure. You know, every episode would end with just this level of like, what just happened? You know, what just happened? And what's next? It would just, it left me in this type A personality that I have just enraged because there was no closure, there was no finish to it. And y'all, after studying the book of Acts for 37 weeks, I found myself this week preparing for the last sermon of the book of Acts, feeling a little bit unfinished, like almost feeling like there's not closure that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is going to bring to us. So my prayer today is through his spirit, as we read the last several verses, and as we try to put a bow on this book, that we would walk away with a little bit of closure, but it may not be in the way that we think it would. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 28 we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 17. After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled, compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since, since it is because of the hope of Israel I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what, what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is, uh, it is spoken against. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, and from morning until evening... He expounded to them and testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, 
but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, before I jump into the closure that I think Luke's trying to bring for us, um, let's do a little bit of context. So we talked about this last week, but Paul has finally made it to the city of Rome. After a long and perilous journey, as we saw in Acts chapter 27, that was orchestrated by the providence of God, right, for the purposes of God, which was to bring God glory even in the midst of a difficult journey. But he finally gets to Rome, and we see that he's living there under house arrest. And, and although still in chains and although still awaiting trial, he's really been given some freedoms to welcome any that would come to him so that he could testify to them about two things, right, the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. So after three days, you know, Paul doesn't wait very long to settle in. After three days, he calls together the, leading, the leaders of the Roman Jews to, to kind of put his case out before them. And, you know, what baffles me about this is that, that they have never heard of him, right? That these Roman Jews had no idea who Paul was. And that, and that baffles me because we have seen all throughout Paul's missionary journeys that Paul has been stirring up rage amongst the Jewish communities. Everywhere he goes, we see in Asia, Macedonia, Thessalonica, Galatia, everywhere he goes to preach the gospel to the Jews, they respond with persecution. They respond with rejection of him. What also baffles me is that the Jews of Judea or Jerusalem and Caesarea have not sent any letters about Paul to Rome. And it baffles me because if you remember in Acts chapter 26, governor of Judea was Felix. He left, but he kept Paul in prison for two years. When a new governor came by the name of Festus, he wanted to do the Jews a favor to rent, win some political points among his, his people. And they said, yeah, we know how you can get, us some, get some points. Send Paul to us. So they wanted to assassinate Paul on the way to Jerusalem. These Jews in Judea had been steaming over Paul for two whole years while Paul sits in prison. These guys didn't forget about Paul. So it baffles me that, that in verse 21 they said, hey, we've received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported against you. But it makes no difference to Paul. Whether they knew who he was or they didn't know who he was, he was going to take this as an opportunity to teach two things. And y'all, it's the same two things that we have seen from Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 28. That Paul, living his last bit of life, is testifying about two things. The kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom of God, which is Jesus of Nazareth. Just to remind you of what this is all about, Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I know, it's been a while. August 7th is when we preach this. Acts chapter 1. So I want to remind you that, that Paul is emphasizing two things, the kingdom of God. First, he reasoned from the scriptures from morning until evening that there is a kingdom that is here established by God. And the Jews knew this. The Jews had been long awaiting for a kingdom, been promised a kingdom. And what they expected this kingdom to be was inaugurated by a king, a messiah. A Christ, someone who would come on a white horse with a sword on his side and would, would get rid of these oppressors called Rome and establish a physical national kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel. That's what the Jewish mind's expectation of the kingdom of God was. 
And Paul's telling them from Scripture, from Old Testament, from the law of Moses and from the law of the prophets, he was telling them this. The kingdom is here. It's just coming a way you didn't expect. The kingdom has come by this man named Jesus of Nazareth, who came not on a white horse but on a donkey, not carrying a sword but carrying a cross. And he has come to rid yourself of oppressors. It's just not Rome. It's just the oppressive nature of sin. And it's not going to happen on some battlefield for war. It's going to happen on the battlefield of each individual heart. So Paul is spending morning till evening telling them these things. And it's exactly what the book of Acts has been doing since the beginning. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. In Acts chapter 1, if you can remember from August 7th, we read this. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he died, after he was resurrected, before he ascended, spent 40 days with his apostles, 40 days with his disciples doing one thing, teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching about I have come to establish this kingdom and I, Jesus of Nazareth, and the king. Luke, in his first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, summarized that 40-day period by saying this, okay? Luke chapter 24, verse 45. It says, Jesus opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third days rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So Jesus opens up the book of Acts. Spending 40 days with his people, making sure they understand the kingdom of God, making sure they're prepared to witness or speak about the kingdom of God. And that's what they did. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you will be my witnesses, that you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, telling people about the kingdom of God and telling them more than anything about the king who is Jesus of Nazareth. And y'all, this is the story of Acts. Right? I hope we've, we're on the same page here after 37 weeks. Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 8 is all about them fulfilling this purpose in the city of Jerusalem. It began on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and preaches a powerful sermon about the kingdom of God, about Jesus' role in the kingdom of God. And 3,000 people are believers in one single day. 3,000. The church is born there in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 2, we see what happens when the story of God transforms individual hearts but also transforms churches. If you remember from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, the church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They're devoting themselves to love. Because if you remember from the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the world is going to know me by how you love one another. And when the story of God transforms a church, when it transforms individual hearts, the, the output of that is love. And they're loving one another, and the church is continuing to grow. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, the church reaches 5,000 people. Y'all, you think we have space issues. Could you imagine 5,000 people? And we saw in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6 that that growth created a lot of issues. Issues from within. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? And then issues from without. A lot of grumbling was coming against the church. So the apostles in their wisdom established what we call deacons. Deacons who would, who would lead the ministries of the church, who would serve the church. You know who got here at 530 this morning to set up a baptismal? Our deacons. That's what the church did in Acts chapter 6. They're serving the ministries of the church. And the first part of Acts, Acts 2 to Acts 8, concludes with one of those deacons by the name of Stephen witnessing to the kingdom of God and to the king, Jesus Christ, even to the point of death. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is a significant transition in the book of Acts. 
Stephen had just preached a powerful message about the kingdom of God. And we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, after Stephen was stoned to death for his faith, that Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. It's almost like God orchestrates this thing. He says in Acts chapter 1, I want you to tell about my story. I want you to tell about the kingdom, about the role of the king in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the church is located in Jerusalem, and God says, ah, you probably need to get out to Judea and Samaria. So persecution arises and drives the providence and the purposes of God to Judea and Samaria. So Acts chapter 8, all the way up until Acts chapter 10, is all about them fulfilling this purpose in Judea and Samaria. Another one of those deacons by the name of Philip is preaching Christ in Samaria. Peter and John are sent to the church in Samaria to lay hands on them, to pray for them. They receive the Holy Spirit, the seal of their salvation, all about the kingdom of God, the story of God in Judea and Samaria. And then Acts chapter 9, of course, which we've spent a lot of time on, a significant event took place. Anybody remember Brownie Point? The conversion of Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who was the persecutor of the church, now has become the greatest preacher of the church. And then Acts chapter 10, all the way to Acts chapter 28, is Paul and his companions accomplishing the purposes of God to the ends of the earth. They are witnessing to the kingdom of God and to the king of kings to the ends of the earth. While Paul was away in Arabia in Acts chapter 10, it began with Peter. Peter received some crazy vision about all these animals descending in this sheet, right? And it was telling him, it was God's wisdom telling him, hey, this gospel is for all nations. It's for Gentiles alike. So it begins in Cornelius' household in Caesarea. Gentiles, all nations begin to put their faith in the story of God. And of course, Paul and Barnabas begin to formalize this ministry. The church of Antioch commissions Paul and Barnabas to be foreign missionaries. In Acts chapter 13, they share the story of God in Cyprus, Iconium, and Lystra. Keep flipping. Acts chapter 16, they preach in Phrygia, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to the city of Ephesus to tell the story of God in Ephesus. And then on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops in every city that he had planted a church to build them up in the series of the faith. And then in Acts chapter 21 through 27, we see God promising Paul, you're going to share this story in Rome also. Rome, you must go. And why was Rome so important, y'all? Because in that ancient day, all roads led where? To Rome. Rome is the epicenter of the Gentile world. You want to share the gospel with all nations, you got to get to Rome. So in Acts 21 to Acts 27, God is promising Paul, you will share my story in the city of Rome. In Acts chapter 28, Paul makes it. He gets there. And then we get this little conclusion in Acts 28 verse 30, that Paul lived in Rome for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him doing what? proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts ends the exact same way that the book of Acts began, with God's faithful witnesses proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the king of kings. Here's where that, like, that TV show Lost comes in for me. Because like when I read this, like it, it feels like, oh, they all live happily ever after, but, but there leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Right? Let me give you a few. What about the Roman Jews? How had they not heard of Paul? He leaves it unanswered. Nobody knows the answer to that. We, we, Luke doesn't record it. 
What about the Roman Christians that we saw last week who were so devoted to Paul that they left the city of Rome and walked 33 miles on the way to Rome with him just to strengthen him in his faith? Did they continue on in their support and, and, and strength of Paul, or did they fall away? We don't know. Luke doesn't record anything about the Roman Christians. What about Paul? Did anything happen to Paul? Did Paul actually stand before Caesar? Did he ever actually go into trial? Was he executed? Is he killed for his faith? What happens to Paul? Why would Luke not bring some closure for me about the life of the apostle Paul? Anybody else curious about that? The answer is this, because the book of Acts isn't about Paul. The book of Acts isn't Paul's story. The book of Acts isn't Peter's story. The book of Acts isn't Philip's or Stephen's story. The book of Acts is God's story. And the book of Acts ends saying that Paul continued proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why, church? Because that's the only story that will last forever. Your story will end. My story will end. Paul's story did end. Anybody want to know why? I, I got to give you some closure about Paul, okay? He's too important to me. So Paul, many believe, church history believes that he was released temporarily after this two-year trial, but eventually re-arrested and executed under the Roman emperor of Nero. You study anything about Nero, y'all, he was a bad, bad man. As Roman emperor, he set fire to the city of Rome for political gain. Crazy. Ended up back in, uh, you know, bounced back on top of him where everybody started getting angry at him for starting these fires. So what did he do? He shifted all the blame. He began to blame a certain type of people that everybody hated already. You know who it was? Christians. He blamed it all on Christians. Tacitus, Roman historian, says this. Therefore, to scotch the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of men loathed in their vices called Christians. Tacitus says, first of all, those who confessed Christ, meaning those who would not repudiate Christ in the face of persecution, were arrested, then convicted. Their execution was made a matter of sport. Some were sewn up in the skins of wild beasts and eaten to death by dogs. Others were fastened to crosses as living torches to serve as lights when daylight failed. They were sacrificed to gratify one man's lust for cruelty. That's what happened under Emperor Nero. And church history tells us that Paul was beheaded under Emperor Nero. History also says the same year Peter was crucified upside down at the hands of Emperor Nero. One of the greatest persecutions the church has ever known happened in this time period, and Paul was killed for it. Church, Paul's life ended in tragedy. Peter's life ended in tragedy. Stephen's life ended in tragedy. In fact, as we've studied throughout the book of Acts, all those who lived faithfully to proclaim the kingdom of God and Jesus as the king of kings lived pretty tragic lives. Can we agree with that? Most were rejected, beaten, reviled, imprisoned, and even killed. But Luke doesn't end the book of Acts with tragedy. He ends it with one of triumph. He ends it with saying, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It's God's story that will always continue. So church, as we conclude 37 weeks, I can't tell you, you have to have grace on me. We'll, we'll start a new series next week. I bet I will say open to Acts a thousand times in the next month. But 37 weeks of praying, preaching, studying, and reading the book of Acts, there's one question I just think Luke wants to leave before all of us. Whose story do you live for? Whose story are you breathing for? So often, right, we, we get caught up in our worlds. It's so easy to do. Every commercial says it. 
Every commercial is about you. Everything is about us. It's what makes us happy. It's how we want to live our lives. It's what we want to accumulate. What we've seen in the book of Acts is that no story matters other than living for the story of God. God's story is the one that will always be triumphant. So church, whose story do you want to live for? And, and pardon my cheesiness around this, but, but this is kind of what popped up to, in my mind. The person or church who lives for his story is the person or church that leaves its mark on history. Okay, I said pardon the cheesiness, okay? So let me say it again. The person or the church that lives for his story is the person or the church that leaves its mark on history. Whose story do we want to live for? So as we conclude this morning, uh, here's my prayer, that we as a church would be persuaded and convinced of the kingdom of God, brought about by the death and the resurrection of the king of kings, And may we live until our story ends every day for his story. That's my prayer for us. So here's how we're going to close the book of Acts. On August the 7th, 2022, that was our first day as a church. Our first day as a congregation, the day that CBC Richmond Hill became something more than a dream or a prayer. And the first song that we sang as a congregation was the song by Rim Collective of Build Your Kingdom Here. So I'd like for us to sing that song again. So our team's going to come back up. So if you're part of our worship team, come on back up. And as we sing, church, I want you to sing with similar passion as you cheered for those that were being baptized. I want us to sing that God would use your life, your family, our church to build his kingdom in this community and for all those that we come in touch with. So let me pray for us as our team gets set up. Father, that's the cry of Acts. We know that Luke, being inspired by your Holy Spirit to pen this narrative just as it is written, is intentional. Because, God, we know that everything you do is intentional. We know that the purpose of this book is to show us that your story is powerful. That your story, as we've seen in in baptism this morning, that your story will transform and change our story. And, Lord, I pray as we conclude it this morning that we would let your story live triumphantly through it that we would let God's story continue in Richmond Hill and Midway and Berwick and Georgetown and Hinesville and all of these regions around us. May your story continue to, to, to spread, to advance through the faithful witnessing of this church. Father, we love you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand up with me and let's sing this song together.